0: I'm Oliver Bruce, dyslexic and dyspraxic, serial entrepreneur with little more than one GCSE, but none of that matters, and that is exactly why I started this podcast. I've built multi-million pound businesses from just an idea, and I've gone into markets that I've got no right to be in. It's not always plain sailing, and what you see on social media is often a fraction of the reality. I somehow wanted to tell the candid truth, the story around startup and scale-up life, and just how important mental agility and strength is in this largely idealistic and fake world. I hope you enjoy my podcast and take some solace and some learnings from the unspoken reality and subjectivity of the term success. This is Success in the Mind and thank you so much for watching. You are genuinely changing people's perception of Food. I tend to be quite relentless,
1: and it is out of character to stop. You sent a burger and chips 112,000 feet into the sky, going up against organisations like like uh, Unilever, Nestle, and Corn, and um, so so the risk is there in the sense that you are coming to a gunfight with like a tiny penknife. It sounds
0: like Squid Games. So Andy, this is your business, but what is this?
1: So um, this is a brand of plant-based meat alternatives uh, and we focus on the hyper-realism of animal products uh, in our plant-based food. So the idea is you have our uh, sausages or our plant-based bacon, plant-based chicken, and you don't know that it's plant-based. You can't tell the difference. Uh, We sell the products in retail, in supermarket chains. We also sell in food service, so restaurant chains as well.
0: And you've always been an entrepreneur, haven't you? Back when you were a kid, you went to boarding school, your parents sent you off there. But you've always had a little entrepreneurial flair. How did you get into it?
1: Um, yeah, I've um, I've been a founder since I was 21. Um, and uh, from the start, I guess I would say I came from um highly privileged background. And so I think the pressure's on when when uh, you... <laughs> When you come from that sort of background and you want to make sure that you make the most of it and, and don't waste you know opportunities and leg ups basically um but also i think be super mindful of how like ridiculously unfair it is as well um so um yeah i i, I went to um boarding school um you enjoy, it? It? you enjoy enjoyed um, i hated the first couple of years yeah. and like any kind of child sent away from home i missed home um and then um i kind of grew into it when i found some friends and um you know just kind of ended up having a lot of fun in the last couple of years um but um but yeah it's quite weird quite a weird place for a 13 year old to find
0: you were there at 13 yeah similarly i went to boarding school at 13 i loathed it i hated boarding school for pretty much my whole time i mean what what kind of what allowed you to get through it how did you mentally cope with that when you were first sent away away from home Um, well
1: firstly have to probably flag that it's a huge opportunity you know so like i don't want to seem like um woe is me but um but but in terms of uh, um getting to grips with with the sort of homesickness and the lo- loneliness aspect um i think it was just that i started to um let loose a bit more with mm-hmm. with um sense of humor and and being a bit more vocal and um i suppose i learned over those years to make the most of um a vaguely quick wit that i can have and, yeah. and, and that ends up making you feel more comfortable because you get validation people laughing and people being your friend and and then I ended up um, slightly less unpopular by the time I left. And so that was kind of a happier place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why did you end up less popular? Because no, you were the I one taking the pick out of others. Less unpopular, yes. Oh, less so unpopular.
1: More popular was, was, uh, more popular was what I was going for.
0: So what I mean, what did your parents do there, Andy? What did they do to allow you to go to boarding school?
1: Uh, so my dad... Um, uh, he, he didn't, um, he, he stopped working quite, quite young, but not, not necessarily for, for normal reasons, right. like making tons and tons of money. Um, but, but, um, he did, but he did do, uh, he was in the property industry basically. Okay. And, um, and then, um, my mum owned a jewelry shop, right. um, when she, made, uh, rings and, and all sorts of jewelry basically. Oh, wow. Um, just a small sort of SME. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's pretty much what they did. I um, I wasn't too close to either of their careers, if I'm honest. I didn't mm-hmm. take too much of an interest mm-hmm. um, when I was growing up. Hence, hence kind of going off... With, I, I actually elected to go off to boarding school when I was 13. Oh, really? Say, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, when you, when you were at boarding school, were you the typical kind of student that was buying and selling things from the tuck shop? Or did you kind of just go through the motions of academia and then eventually go to university?
1: Yeah, I, I was always, whether at school or university... Um, quite a poor student mm-hmm. because, and took direction very badly um was fairly sort of insolent and badly behaved and um uh didn't did, i was a classic like has potential isn't fulfilling any of it yeah. school report type thing and then um by the time i got to university um i then um my sort of founder entrepreneurial type of uh um, um side came out and I realized, sort of, pretty much first year or, or if not even before uni, yeah. I wanted to be a founder uh-huh. as my career. And so that led to an even steeper decline in, in the commitment of like my academic studies mm-hmm. because I knew that where I was going, I didn't need uh, a degree. And even if I failed, um, I would just try again because i was completely committed yeah from the age of about 18 17 to, to being a founder basically so i mean because not a lot of people know they want to be a founder a lot of
0: people know they want to do something start a business make a difference but to go all right today i'm going to found something what did you because you went into the world of photography essentially when you were at university
1: yeah i was a photographer um i um i worked for um a sort of clubbing um company mm-hmm. uh and um which was quite incongruous because i was I was and I'm not cool. Um, <laughs> but but it was like what cool people did, I think, is go and work for a clubbing company. And I um I basically um used to take photos in clubs for their club nights yeah, exactly. and hand out cards. Business and, cards or yeah, okay. the, the cards for the company. Because back then it wasn't very kind of digital, you know, not yeah, have yeah, QR yeah. codes or anything. So I'd hand out the card and say go to this website and you can buy your picture. And oh, yeah. it was like half really annoying and tedious for people. And then also half people just want to be vain and see themselves in these pictures. So they all went. So it was great because I got to like, I got to basically go clubbing, but without really going clubbing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, like, I didn't pay, for, you know, buy drinks, and I didn't, like, queue and stuff. Yeah. I you, could sort of people watch. It was quite fun. That is interesting. You got paid, obviously, but did you take commission from handing out the cards, and
0: every third <clears day throat> you took, you took a percentage, or how did that work from an entrepreneurial step? Oh, that
1: was very un I just okay. got paid a really low wage. <laughs> <laughs> but you saved I, by not drinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just I just did it because I enjoyed it, because I wanted some pocket money for holidays and stuff. Sure. Um. So, yeah, I did quite a lot of it, actually, for... Um, Basically whenever I wasn't at school or uni I was doing it okay. um, So so I did it a lot over the years and then um, uh, My first kind of um, I suppose entrepreneurial move was mm-hmm. um, at university. Um, I Co-created with a couple of mates um, something we called cash throw events cash throw. Yeah, okay, very vulgar <laughs> What was that about? So um, we would organize um big club nights at uh, a club called Ocean in Nottingham. Okay. Where I went to university. And anyone that knows Nottingham University knows Ocean and, and it's still there and is it? It's still there I believe, it's yeah. Like one of those um TV. it's the kind of place where you have a great time but your shoes get stuck to the floor when you walk.
0: Oh, okay. I get it. You are them behind as you move, yeah. Yeah.
1: So and basically what we did is we, we would sell tickets to, to, to the events and we would um, the whole premise would be that we're gonna throw a grand onto the dance floor. <laughs> right. So we had balloons full of money. Um, and like hundreds of balloons, or you know, whatever, how many balloons? And we would, we would go like three, two, one, and drop the balloons onto the crowd. Yes, they'd all fight for it, and like often injuries.
0: It sounds like <laughs> Squid Games.
1: Yeah, it was like it <laughs> very early, um, you know, tertiary education based Squid Games. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, what? How did you? How did you make money from that? I mean, so you get around.
1: Well, because ticket sales would generate, I don't five. know, three, four, five grand of revenue and and the cash throw would be a ground and okay. so and you'd have a couple of costs with the event and stuff but so you must have
0: been incredibly wealthy at university if you were making that kind of money i mean you obviously had the venue costs of such like but yeah i mean must we must have
1: we weren't we weren't making a huge amount we, we would wash it wash it space. yeah yeah but like by the time you know our three uh co-creators got paid and then we had people selling tickets as well yeah. so we had this kind of hierarchy it was an extremely like Poorly run business. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but your first foray, nevertheless, into. Yeah, that's where it started into for me. Business. Definitely. Um, and I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. I got such. I mean, I don't like clubbing or, frankly, like, I'm not that into partying generally, <laughs> but um, I can't tell you. I still remember the rush when the thing you've cr- created. Uh, you know, even that silly little thing. Like it was just so fun seeing everyone who bought tickets and was enjoying it, and it was your gig. It was great.
0: Well, you must get in a massive rush from from this because this has just exploded in the last couple of years. And and we'll kind of get onto it later. But you guys are, are sort of really, really scaling hard now. But going back to university and your first sort of foray into business, you obviously had had that kind of cash throw business that that, that you founded. But you also founded Recruitment Squares, yeah, which was actually a proper business, yeah, which made money, which you sold. Mm-hmm. And that was, was that your first official, well registered and well managed company? Yeah,
1: it was, yeah. I tried a couple of times before. Um, so at university, this is really my like non claim to fame, my okay. non claim to non fame. Non claim to non fame, yes. I came up with an idea at university called Equity Fish. And this was back in 2000, um, I don't know, seven ish. Right. And I got really into it. Like I called the FSA, which is now the FCA many times had meetings with them um basically the idea was crowdcube but okay. i thought of it before it was a thing kind of thing before it was crowdcube not that i deserve any credit because i didn't end up like delivering on on what is now crowdcube they did so so all credit to crowdcube for making it happen but i did have that idea i did pursue it and i was i was outgunned by the legal challenges mm-hmm. and yeah i mean i i I once got the chance to um, briefly meet one of the founders of CrowdCube, uh-huh. and I said I did think of an idea like this at university, and I really got buried by the legal um, headache. You know, how was it? And he basically looked at me with the eyes of somebody that's seen some stuff. You know, I yeah. was like, yeah, it's been it's been a lot. <laughs> so he kind of validated my yes. decision to not pursue it because even though he's done very well and they've done well. Um, clearly it was just a nightmare. So anyway, I tried that, mm-hmm. didn't succeed, got outgunned by the legal system. And then um I also tried um a couple of other things. Uh I wanted to do advertising on the handles of escalators. Well, as um, in the moving ones. Yeah, so the ones in tube okay. stations yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And shopping centers. So I wanted to basically I'd seen in Asia the, these adverts on the handles of the, you know. The, like long strips sure i thought that was really cool and i it hadn't really been in the uk so right. it still I, isn't really is it not really yeah. no never really took off. To, to, and so i thought i wanted to try and do that for a bit sort of didn't really go anywhere with that so um by the time i was ready to leave uni i mm-hmm. took a job offer from uh, somebody i i knew um who's uh, was who was starting a drinks business okay so it's called west 11 cocktails it's basically like ready to drink cocktails okay. um in bottles and i took i was the first. I guess the first official employee, maybe. Yeah. Um, a few. Uh, they had a lot of consultants, but who who were not like me. They were serious people who had had like lots of experience. But <laughs> I I did that for nine uh, nine months. Yes. And then I decided I want to start my own company when I was uh, twenty one.
0: And in terms of when you kind of came up with these two ideas that were that were kind of good ideas but didn't really go anywhere, what made you stop and go? Actually, no, I'm not going to pursue it. I'm not going to put money into it. I'm not going to waste my life trying mm-hmm. to make branding on an escalator work mm. I'm going to move into something else because that in and of itself is hard
1: yeah really fair question because uh, I tend to be quite relentless mm. and it is out of character to stop um, and so um, two different reasons that the first equity fish um equity. Was, I do like that name <laughs> um, and that 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 was purely you know don't be delusional mm. speaking to myself here Don, don't be delusional you are uh, not well equipped enough to make to make this happen from a legal um, regulatory standpoint. Basically, mm-hmm. I lacked even the most basic business um, business skills. I couldn't even. I didn't know about them, but I couldn't even write an email properly and say the right things at the beginning and the end. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that, are you dyslexic, dyspraxic, dysphasia? No. Any... I more mean like um, you know how it's sort of conventional to put best regards or yes. you know many thanks. I didn't even know what to put there no you know like (laughs) cheers mate yeah (laughs) something like that probably yeah yeah um so that i just need some experience
0: but you learn you learn that over time i mean on a business course like you did you don't technically necessarily learn how to how to do that you learn about the numbers and you learn about how to structure but you don't learn about the ideation necessarily
1: i i didn't learn uh what i was supposed to learn at uni to be honest I i went to um uh, I think three lectures in three years, to be honest. Not okay. not an example I wish to set for others. No, but I was a very uncommitted student. Why didn't you just drop out, Andy? Um, it's it might sound a bit stupid, but I, I basically my parents paid for um, a private education at great expense to them, and they really wanted me to go to university and see it through. So even though I obviously didn't deliver with yeah. flying colours to what they, I, I did feel that I owed it to them. Um, for paying for my previous education to, to finish university, basically.
0: Okay, so you almost had an element of guilt that you wanted to repay them and and,
1: and show them that actually their investment was a good one. Um, more the former than that, it felt felt obli- obligated. Obligated. You know, felt that sense of obligation. Um, I thought it would be a very petulant, spoiled thing to do to accept such a prestigious, expensive education mm-hmm. and then just defy um, the, the quite fair ask. That's uh, um, you know succeeded in
0: but there's no there's no denying that entrepreneurs are always slightly wired in a, in a different way whether they sit through lectures or, or they don't sit through lectures you know there's multiple different things that you can argue there but to actually build a business multiple businesses that fail and then a business that works sell the business and then go into other businesses and scale them like you've done is difficult takes balls talk to me about the recruitment squared business that you, you literally started with 500 quid and then sold in 2012 what, what did that look like
1: yeah so um i i the process of deciding what to do after um, I left the uh, cocktail company mm-hmm. was limited to finding ideas that requires next to no money to start because I didn't have any money and I suspected I would find it very difficult to raise any money. Yeah. Access to capital subsequently got much much better. Yeah, but really for people that green, you know, it's very difficult to raise money. I think back then, and so I um, uh, um, l- narrowed it down to basically like agency based ideas. Because, I mean, you'll know with an agency, yeah, yeah. you don't need like a million pounds to start an agency, really. You can yeah. hustle your way through. So It's people's um, time you're selling. Yeah, exactly. So I, I had done some work experience for a recruitment company um, when I was like 18. Mm-hmm. And so I vaguely got, you know, a handle on what, what it involved. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought I'd just give it a crap because I was so preoccupied and desperate to start my own business that the idea was almost secondary. Yeah. And so... Um, I basically it was quite literally five hundred pounds. I spent I think two three hundred pounds on an office payment for a month, Um, and then I just used the rest for job ads on Gumtree. Mm -hmm. And I came up with a premise that was basically quite unfashionable now, but it was um, try before you hire. So um, I wanted to provide internships which led to um, jobs, and you didn't pay any placement fee to us. Uh, for the intern mm-hmm. you only paid if you decided to hire the intern basically right.
0: a difficult business model
1: yeah not really <coughs> particularly <helps>. scalable <laughs> which i subsequently learned yeah so um but 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 quite nice from a client side you know they quite liked it of course it is. i mean yeah you're um, basically
0: giving them talent for free and yeah you
1: know, if they don't like it taking it back but one interesting thing is actually i didn't experience pretty much anyone taking mm. the mickey out of it really you'd have thought on paper that you'd have lots of clients that would just like rinse it and just get a churn of interns. Mm-hmm. I never found that. I actually found that all employers that I dealt with um, were quite good natured and, and, and had integrity when it came to not wasting either our time or the interns' time. Yeah, yeah. And the conversion rate was huge. It was like 75% or something.
0: Really? I mean, yeah. in terms of setting that up though, because something like that will have to come to contracts and you'll have to have legal advice and such like, or you might not if you were starting it up with 500 quid. What happened there? Because the terms and conditions for the whole basically return it if it doesn't work policy must have been quite hard to stipulate
1: if you hadn't invested in a lawyer (laughs) so there were headhunters a couple of headhunters in the office floor that i like a communal office um that i had sort of chatted to and i asked very nicely and and they gave me their terms okay. and i changed the names and stuff and uh, and that's how i got my terms of, of engagement basically
0: and in terms of when you launched that stuff that 75 percent conversion rate you grew that but then you actually you sold it you sold the business you know why did you sell it and what did you
1: sell it for um so basically um after the first sort of year or so i started to not really enjoy recruitment <laughs> <laughs> um, because i never really worked in it apart from doing a bit of work experience sure. and i learned that actually it's just telesales mm-hmm. like intense you know if you're not making 60 calls a day you will not succeed in, in that lower end recruitment yeah and so that's what i did and i did what was needed but um i really didn't enjoy it mm-hmm. you No, know, not that many people enjoy 60 cold calls a day no um it's just a bit rubbish yeah so so i didn't love it i was finding it difficult to scale we got to a revenue of about 100 and, i don't know 120 130k annualized okay. um after after about a year and a half two years and um i had like one or two team members um and then a guy came on who's basically his his family was in recruitment and successful recruitment business um and he was in recruitment previously yeah. and he had the means to basically buy me out and he was kind of he had a vision for, to take it somewhere I had a vision to leave, and so we ended up making a deal for um you know him to him to buy me out essentially.
0: And was that what was the multiple of that then? If you were doing one hundred and twenty thousand quid um, in
1: revenue, the valuation I suppose in total. I mean, we're talking really small business, yeah. right? But I was twenty-two or twenty-three or whatever. But but the the, the valuation was around one um, x revenue essentially, a bit more than one x revenue. Oh okay, okay. So so um, I went and got myself a used Porsche Boxster, and yeah, it was it was great. I had my first taste of. You know um seeing some fruits of the sort of founder labor mm-hmm. um albeit on a very small scale yeah um but still
0: at the age of 22 a good amount of money to be to
1: be to be not given necessarily but to generate and an yeah. exit with yeah and i took a salary from the business as well yeah. before that so i was all in all i was pleased that that i made that decision um uh, but then you went over to to mcdonald's like you said earlier you yeah. jumped
0: ship from the business you sold the business with a couple of hundred grand in your pocket and you went to flip burgers that is something that not many people necessarily do it wasn't long until you left granted but what was
1: the yeah. methodology there so what happened in between uh those two things basically um my godfather is a really nice guy he's a banker he he took me for lunch um my office for recruitment square was in the city and he was in the city, so he took me for lunch. And he said, I've just invested a small ticket into this startup called Coco da Mama. And it's like an Italian uh, sort of quick service place, a bit like an itsu or a prep, but Italian. Right. They're now a really like decent-sized chain, but back then they were just one site. So I've just invested a angel uh, ticket. Uh, come and um, see the place. Um, maybe meet the founder. So I was like, all right. Knew nothing about food or, or restaurants or anything. Took me along. We sat down, got my pasta, started talking to my godfather about what, because actually the point of the lunch was basically to try and get advice about what to do with my life. Because I I knew I was going to leave recruitment and I didn't know what to do next. Okay. Anyway, this guy comes over, this guy called Daniel Land, who I've kept in touch with, really nice bloke. He was one of the two founders of Coco de Mama. Right. And he was buzzing. I was sitting there like asking him about it how's it going? What's the job like? You know, and he was like, yeah, we're doing this, we're doing that. We just got um, new dishes, we've got the branding done. And he was just buzzing. Yeah. And I sort of fed off the energy and I fed off the buzz of the place. yeah. And it was at that uh, moment when I decided I was going to start a food and restaurant business, essentially. Okay. Okay. Um, and so that that's why I then mm-hmm. um, toiled away for a few weeks to come out with a concept in my head. Mm-hmm. And the concept that, that I came up with was what ended up being Chosen by, which is basically... Uh, solving a problem of you can't get a great burger delivered in london mm-hmm. at the time delivery wasn't a thing Yep. um talking back in like 2012 2011 and um uh you know i, I decided that that i try and create a, a business and a solution for people that want a, a really great burger and really great sides to delivered to their house really quickly mm-hmm. Almost like Domino's Pizza, but for burgers. That's what my yeah. that was my vision at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you're probably visionary, Andy. In terms of you came up with Crown Cube before, <laughs> genuinely before Crown Cube. Didn't do anything with it. Though. Didn't do anything with it. <laughs> came up with delivery before delivery, <laughs> and, and kind of did something with it. And now, and now you're, you're you obviously founded this, and and you're coming up with the future of essentially eating food that is not meat. Uh, you know, and you're a market leader in that world. You are genuinely changing people's perception of. Food. is it something you've always wanted to do is make a change make a difference and, and, and kind of disrupt an industry
1: i think so yeah i mean your your um characterization i'd say is quite generous but but i was but i would say i've always wanted to try and be at the leading edge mm-hmm. of of whatever it is i'm working in i'm very competitive and um i want to see what the best is the, the best in class and, and try and beat it almost almost mostly for the pathetic uh notion of competitiveness really <laughs> <laughs> so you're highly competitive is that is that
0: yeah. a streak that you associate it with in a positive way or is that, you just say it's sometimes negative
1: i think it's um positive in in my case i would be biased wouldn't i though but, but like i i think it's positive because um i tend to be relatively gracious in defeat mm-hmm. for talking about sport or anything like that and don't, i don't tend to um although a company slack went around because i played one of the guys at squash Okay. And lost and i smashed my racket on the thing oh no okay. didn't break it i just tapped it and it got blown up so everyone thinks i'm a brat <laughs> was that the first
0: game you played of squash against him and the last
1: <laughs> i i have been uh injured for the last <laughs> like, two months <laughs> and
0: um, when, when, when you when you started then chosen obviously there was an element of you Wanting, wanting to disrupt an industry, but also wants to compete and be the best in that world. You obviously worked at McDonald's, I'm assuming, because you wanted to harness and understand and learn a little bit about um,
1: the F&B world, essentially. Yeah. So so the thinking was, OK, I've got this idea, mm-hmm. but I know nothing about operating fast food restaurant. Um, so um, I, by then I teamed up with Pete. Right. Very early on, as soon as I had the idea, I went off and found a business partner that, that was Pete. Where did
0: you, how did you, how, how do you find a business partner? You can't just go on eBay and
1: buy one. I know, yeah, it's a bit of a faff. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> um, I, because I started recruitment Square on my own, and right. I found it quite lonely. Yeah. Um, so that's why I committed to have one having one. And I just did a lot of networking, and I met everybody I could think of, and phoned everybody I could think of saying, look, do you know anyone smart who could be my co-founder mm-hmm. in the next business, I've got an idea. And one guy who just ended up being a sort of mutual contact of ours so yeah i know a guy he's gonna leave his corporate job um he works at coke and he's looking for a startup gig uh, and that was pete okay and and it was it was um it was end up being a romantic uh kind of a story because we pete had seven days before he had to accept or decline a job offer for a startup right so we met every night for seven nights to try and like build up conviction yeah <laughs> so that he could be in a position to either take the plunge with me or go off and take this startup job uh-huh. um so we met every night and and you know his girlfriend at the time probably thought that something was up yeah it's like the honeymoon period isn't it when yeah you're,
0: when when, when, you're, when you're dating i mean in terms of how you built that relationship over over a week i mean that is it's pretty unique not a lot of people yeah. go and f- want to find a business partner and find a business partner and it work
1: mm. yeah we're very I, I am incredibly lucky um uh, and obviously he is as well obviously uh, but, a but I, I i am incredibly lucky to have found pete yeah we we um we have entirely complementary skills, yes. and we stay in our lane, because the stuff I'm good at, he's not good at, and vice right. versa.
0: And that seems to be the way with the successful co-founders and business partners. I mean, in terms of what you're successful at, or good at, I suppose, What what, what is that, apart from being incredibly competitive, and maybe not squash? <laughs>
1: um, so I am um, uh, a creative person. So for for this and for Chosen Bun, um, I suppose prepared, I, I've been the the creative lead. So. Um, the the fun videos we make um the the branding on, on pack website um social media ideas pr ideas um i tend to, to take the lead on on creating those basically mm-hmm. um so so that's probably where i'm strongest mm-hmm. um and um i also um i think it's fair to say hopefully that, that i'm relatively useful when it comes to innovation yeah so um, those are the two areas I focus most on in the business, I'd say. Um, you know, me and Pete, or Pete and I created the first product. Sure. We got a crack squad of, um, consultants and research institutes to help us, but we were the people that really pulled it together.
0: After 1500 versions.
1: Yeah. Many, many, ver- mm-hmm. only, many versions. Many, many versions. Not ones you'd like to taste probably either. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, being
0: creative is, 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 quite clear because looking at what you did with chosen bun. And how you marketed that. And again, how you're marketing this with with paddles that say, this is not a spanking paddle and whatever else. It's different. It's not aggressive, but it is slightly Hmm. out there. You sent a burger and chips 112,000 feet into the sky. Yeah,
1: yeah. What was the reason for that? Was that just create noise? Yeah, that was a Chosen Bun. Um, We wanted to showcase um, the packaging because the the X factor that Chosen Bun had Mm -hmm. was... um, uh, we designed and patented uh, some packaging for the burger right. that genuinely worked, uh, and it kept it in good shape on the back of a bike whilst it's being delivered. Because we found if we put a burger in a normal box or a polystyrene box, yeah, it would sweat and it would fall apart and it would sway. Um, so we created a packet, a packaging system to um, uh, solve all of those problems associated with, with keeping a burger in a box. Mm-hmm. So we had a sort of clamshell that went over it that was ventilated 360 degrees, right. let the steam out. Um, and the clamshell was basically perfectly sized and positioned within the box that we designed, which was also ventilated, mm-hmm. um, so that you could shake it around. We used to play catch with it across the street and then open it and make sure it was in good knit. Wow. And so that was how we tested the packaging concept. Is that
0: still in circulation?
1: Yeah, yeah they still use it, yeah. Do they? So as in- that, okay. That's why when we sold the business, I would say we've got a relatively good price for the business relative to the size of it because of the um, patent i think the packaging system that we created and and perhaps the ancillary details of how yeah. we delivered it that that gave us i think some value
0: yeah and i mean how long was the business in play for until you decided to jump ship and essentially found what is the the, the pending empire i suppose of this um
1: so, so it was about uh, two years and nine months we were trading at chosen bun before we sold it okay and you sold it for um i, I can't say officially actually because okay. i signed up as, as I think almost every exit on earth is you do agree not to shout about it well but m- maybe not every exit but the majority I think of most probably
0: was it but, enough but it was to a... change your life
1: yes yeah it was a, it was a multi-million pound exit oh. so low millions. Fine. So it's
0: enough for you to go and sit back and go, actually, I can invest and play and and test something, which I suppose is kind of, is what you did with this. You spent two, well, two years trying to figure out how to make some food that isn't meat.
1: Yeah, I mean, what basically it buys you, in my opinion, um, is financial independence, number one. You know, I always felt like, you know, if my paycheck doesn't come in or the company doesn't do well, I'm going to have to bloody, like, you know, and try and ask my mum to bail me out or whatever (laughs) um thankfully you know that that didn't happen but but i um i got proper financial independence didn't Mm -hmm. need anybody in the world to give me anything and um and it also buys you time Mm -hmm. to say so um i didn't feel anxious about taking stock i went traveling for a few months where did you go um i went to um it was mostly asia lovely i went to north korea as well did you yeah um how did you find that uh, it was um very interesting, very sad. Yeah. Uh I just have always been fascinated by the fact that there's, you know, here we are rocking around in yeah. um, you know, whatever we rock around the in The Western world nice stuff. Yeah. yeah. And and over there, um, there's just currently today uh a throwback from yeah. the the slightly sad times of um, you know, the sort of fifties and before.
0: Yeah, very much so. And in ter- I mean in terms of in terms of when you came back from travelling and you had this idea for this, if that if that makes sense, um how did you how did you get that to market? Because it took you two years and fifteen hundred different versions of this yeah. to get this to market, or at least to get it to a point you were happy
1: with. Um yeah, so so well before actually um started this, we started a climbing business called Social Climbing. Okay. Um so um the first move after getting back from travelling was we sort of, Pete and I mapped out what we wanted to do next. So we had, each of us decided we want to have a low-risk investment, a medium-to-low-risk investment, and then a relatively higher-risk investment. Um, and the low-risk, we both bought a property, so okay. so we had our place to live. And then um, medium-risk was social climbing. So um, we opened uh, what is Leicester's premier indoor climbing centre. Right. Um, Leicester, because we found an amazing site in Leicester, right. it's got 45-metre-long... Uh, window to the uh, site so people waiting for the bus can look inside at night and it's like this glowing thing with people climbing it's amazing yes. um that's really cool. and yeah it was super cool so the concept was basically like um uh is still uh a lot of climbing centers this is the sort of the problem we we're uh, trying to solve mm. we were trying to solve with it a lot of climbing centers are really made by climbers for climbers yeah um there's a lot of chalk around the place Some of them aren't that nice to be in if you're like not super into climbing. Yeah. If you're just on a date or you're with some mates or whatever. Yeah. And so we wanted to create a climbing center that was for um, everybody, including like lots of beginners, people on dates, people who like just weren't into climbing. Work socials, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so it's nicely decked out, like cool sofas, like wooden floors, upstairs, the yoga area. Like it's just like, it feels more premium. Yeah. So, So that's what we created basically. Um, and, and that business, uh, yeah, we don't now run it. We, we sort of have two partners that we took on after, right, eh? after we sort of created it. And those guys, um, who are now sort of, I'd say, mates, they, they run the business day to day.
0: Okay, so you've still got the client business and the high risk investment was, was it this? Was what? this, yeah. What? So this was the high risk one. Yeah. Arguably the one that has worked the best.
1: Yeah, I would say so. Um, but at the time, obviously, you know, you're going up against. Organizations like like Unilever and yeah. Nestlé and Corn and um, so so the risk is there in the sense that you are coming to a gunfight with like a tiny pen. On.
0: Before we get back to the podcast, I wanted to ask you, are you a high growth startup or an ambitious entrepreneur? Our headline sponsors, capsule cover, are the perfect insurance specialists if you are geared for high growth. Here at Pinpoint Media we use capsule cover for all our insurance. So if you're an ambitious high growth startup, why not reach out to them via capsulecover.com? Coming up in this episode:
1: the, the, the stated mission of the company is to force the world's livestock into retirement. Do you think that's ever going to happen? I do, yeah. How do you make an idea work? Because so many of your ideas are working, very, very few
0: haven't. But, but you didn't know the industry before you went into it with anything. Okay. And we thought this is genius. Did you? Yeah, because so we like that's mental. That is all to come in this episode of Successes in the Mind. So it kind of took you two years to produce the product you were happy with. 1,500 iterations later, you were you were satisfied. You and Pete were happy to go to market. You raised 900,000 quid. Mm. What did you both individually put in to bring it to market?
1: So before that raise, we both put in uh, um, 100K right. um, between us, actually. So it's 50K 50, each. 50,000 yeah. each.
0: Okay. And what, what did that allow you to do? What was the burn rate on essentially 100,000 quid?
1: So essentially, that money went towards paying consultants <laughs> um paying research institutes Mm um we kept it very lean at the beginning the burn rate was uh um just that so so it wasn't consistent burn rate really because no one was taking salary or we didn't have rents to pay or anything it was more just you know one month we'd pay 20 grand to a research institute that we um descended upon to do some r d work for Mm -hmm. a a week or whatever like um it's just the cost of our goal was clear we wanted prototypes yeah and that's what it cost us.
0: And did you have a limit to those prototypes whereby, you know, Musk had, I think it was three or four rockets that so he could send to space before he ran out of cash? And lo and behold, the last one worked. Did you have, you know, 1600 prototypes you could have before your cash was gone?
1: So, yeah, d- definitely. I mean, I would say, um, to, to be fair, the 1500 uh, iterations um, spanned from uh, the very beginning sure. to after we got funding as well right so we didn't quite launch to market for another like six months okay so time. when you went for funding you still didn't have a prototype you were happy with we had a prototype right but, but it wasn't a prototype that was like market ready right okay it was a sort of directional prototype which you know wasn't the right shape didn't quite have the right flavor mm-hmm. you know we cobbled it together basically yeah. you know we got a um yeah it was it was it was very much like a um, proof of concept
0: it's sort of an mvp i suppose but in, yeah. uh, in terms of because it's, it's a product that you are trying to give the investor an idea as to what it might look or feel or taste like. Mm-hmm. And you go to them and you go, right, here you go, this is the product, this isn't what it will look like, isn't what it will feel like, and isn't what it will taste like, but
1: could I have nearly a million pounds? <laughs> how how did, you, did you do that? I think we um, we managed to uh, um, flesh out the story mm-hmm. and give give the investors an insight into the vision that we had yeah um which was basically this you know we want to create a brand for meat lovers yeah uh this is not going to be for vegans or vegetarians and that's all now quite um common or garden sort of a message but back then you didn't really hear it much no in the market it was it was corn linda mccartney yeah and they were selling really to the legacy purchasers who, who had been buying ve- vegan and vegetarian for a long time yeah so just to come out and as, as we did and, and basically say look this is almost exclusively going to be aimed at. Mm. Great if vegans mm. and vegetarians buy it, but it's going to be aimed at meat lovers. Yeah. Because that's where the, the change happened. And, and,
0: and do you know how much of the market was essentially meat lovers that were converting versus who had already converted like the Linda McCartney crew?
1: Um so back back then I would say very, very few um there wasn't much meat production going on back right. in uh, twenty eighteen or whatever. Things have changed so much Usually. in sort of four or five years. Yeah. Um and um so I, I don't have an exact bigger, but uh, I do know that the number of people who are now meat reducing and buying these products has completely changed.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, when we were doing our research last year, 36% of the UK essentially said that eating vegan is now an admirable thing to do. Mm. It's not nearly half, but it's getting on for half of the UK. I mean, and you guys have had a massive change, massive impact on that.
1: Mm. Huge impact on that.
0: And in terms of disrupting a market, how hard is it to raise money when you are disrupting a market? Because it's so untested, so unknown.
1: So, um, I think what got us through the first raise, that nine hundred K, was basically I think the fact that we had just had a successful exit, mm-hmm. albeit not like earth shattering, yeah. but 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 we had proven that we could take angel investment money and turn it into uh, you know, I don't know what it was, fifteen X or something, sixteen X. Mm-hmm. And 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 um so so I think we had a track record brewing, which yeah. was great. People could see that Pete and I were of strong Um, you know, we trust each other, we're a strong team, we had complementary skills, and also we got across, um, you know, our vision for the company, Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I think that's, that, that made it, to be honest, quite straightforward, Mm -hmm. and we ended up having a relatively competitive uh, and oversubscribed kind of pre-seed round, Uh um, so... I would say you know we we had all the pieces in place to get it done
0: making fake meat or meat that is not meat cannot be that easy how do you how do you go about producing vegan plant-based
1: meat or food with difficulty um it ages a person very quickly (laughs) Um, essentially you have to break down every single characteristic of meat yeah so chicken doesn't just taste like chicken uh, it's got sulf- sulfuric uh, notes, it's got kind of acid notes, yeah. it's got cheesy notes, sweet notes, umami. But how do you pull these flavours out? Because it can't just be by insuring your taste buds and going, this is it. It's... That is how you do it, it's really? practice, yeah. So I've, I've now had, I would say I'm sort of chief taster at this. Do you insured your taste buds? No, I am insured. Are you? I think so, yeah. <laughs> you hope so. <laughs> In the event, if I get hit by a bus, I think the company gets something.
0: You pay off the investors. Well, not
1: quite. Not quite. I'm not worth that much. Um, Anyway, we digress. (laughs) We do. We do. We do taste buds. Um, So, yeah, it's now been, um, you know, three plus years of practice of of tasting something with a different mindset. So you taste it and you just try and break it down in your mind. And um, like anything, I think the potential of our taste buds is much greater than what we um, exercise day to day. Mm -hmm. So if you really try and train yourself, as as I now have, um, to sort of decode the flavour of something in in more detail than yeah. conventional, you really can discern quite a lot. Wow! So like now na- nowadays, I wouldn't say I'm any sort of professional at it, but um, certainly pushing that way. And, and nowadays, if I um, taste a bit of plant-based burger, um, I really am able to to discern the the irony notes in it. Um, yeah. Quite a lot of sort of caramelly sweetness to to, to beef burger or a plant-based beef burger. Um, and then any any other notes? Yeah, so so it's essential to um, break everything down mm-hmm. so that you can rebuild again. Because uh-huh. you can't build something complicated without knowing what all the constituent parts are. A bit like building a business, essentially. Yeah, or just building anything that has lots and lots of parts, like building a house. You need, you need to know what a sink is and, and, and what a kitchen counter is um to, to, you know to put together to a house you got go house <laughs> <Kitchen>. <laughs> <laughs> you need to know like what yes. all the different building blocks are yeah
0: 100 yeah. i mean in terms of in terms of educating and training yourself on that did you before you founded this were you solely a vegan or were you a meat eater no i was a meat eater did you convert um,
1: i converted w- well before um founding this actually okay so it was quite shortly after we sold um chosen bun right uh, it was actually unrelated i did I didn't a lot of people think that I um gave up animal products because of the business and because I thought it was appropriate um actually I saw a video of some chicks being crushed yeah because in the egg industry they don't need male chicks so they just crush them all or gas them all and stuff and chicks are so sweet incredibly I mean they are really they're like like comically sweet creatures yeah, yeah. and um and so I saw this video and it really affected me yeah uh, and I that day from that day I haven't had any uh, any really, or anything. Yeah.
0: And and that was what stemmed this business or what 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 no, made did you think
1: of it? Happy coincidence. What made us think of the business? Yeah. Um I think it was a, a quite unromantic sort of process of elimination where we were like, okay, um, what what do we do? We look we had Pete and I looked at all kinds of businesses to start. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at uh packaging people's prescriptions, in, you know daily and weekly prescriptions in packed sending it out. We looked at starting a barber's chain because we thought that hadn't really been um, consolidated, that industry. We looked at starting um, uh, sort of next generation uh, car servicing garages. Okay. Wanted to start a car brand. I'm a big petrol head, so it was like, um, she's not very on brand, but I love cars. And um, so, so a lot of the ideas were automotive. Yeah. And then uh, we looked at um, all kinds of stuff. And eventually we decided that food was where we were happiest and where we were most excited. Um, And then we suddenly started looking around, sniffing around at what was on shelves. And that's when, going back to the thing I said at the beginning, we realized that there was no brand that really spoke to us as Mm -hmm. meat lovers. yeah, uh, And and no suite of products as well that, that really we were excited by. So we felt like there was an opportunity to try and do it better, basically. And you are doing it brilliantly. And in
0: terms of what sets you apart to, to the other competitors out there, we've already alluded to a few, Linda McCartney and co. Mm.
1: Why, why are you different? I think two things predominantly. The first one is our strength in technical innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, we lean very, very hard into the science. The first thing I did before I did anything else in this business was get on Google Scholar and just look up academic work around Plant proteins, what has and hasn't been done. And so um, I've tried to, and so has Pete, tried to maintain that ethos of mm-hmm. like, let's fix say over, over the science. Um, and so I'd say that that the first thing that sets us apart is, is basically our our technical um, resourcefulness, creativity, and know-how um, as a business. Mm-hmm. We're really good at solving technical challenges in in plant-based food mm-hmm. um like for instance you mentioned our sausages off yep. camera you said you, you've enjoyed them yeah why did you enjoy them what leads you to enjoy them and i would say the succulence of those sausages mm-hmm. the 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 um extreme likeness the flavor has to the pork, texture as well the texture I mean, casting it is exactly <laughs> yeah and all of those all of those characteristics are individual technical big technical challenges mm-hmm. succulents especially yeah um, right. And we worked really hard on that. We created and patented this thing called Fat 2.0. Mm-hmm. It's basically like our plant-based version of animal fat. Right. And that's in the sausages you had. It's made of olive oil predominantly. Is that right? Um, yeah. And, and it's basically like it's white, it's squishy. Yeah. And, and so it, it sort of gives you that explosion of succulence when you eat it.
0: Okay. And is that in conjunction with your Willy Wonka Center that you you, you found and you've
1: got? Is that where you develop yeah. these, these ideas? yeah exactly so, so um we're creating this R and D center which we're nicknaming the animal retirement home because um, <laughs> basically the, the the stated mission of the company is to force the world's livestock into retirement do you think that's ever going to happen i do yeah I do you think so in the next 30 years could be slightly longer could be slightly longer yeah probably will be slightly longer especially when you consider that the uk is in a slightly different place in its yeah you know development of plant-based adoption um but but yeah, I do think one day yeah, I think it will seem if you, if you really go zoom out a bit and, yeah. and you go sort of hundred years, two hundred, I think it will seem quite barbaric that we used to uh, do what we do with animals. To be honest. I I tend to to agree with that. There has to be generations away, surely. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And in terms of the Willy Wonka Centre, then I mean, where is that? How are you? How are you harnessing people's? ideas and innovation to disrupt and come up with new product, because that is expensive.
1: Yeah, so, so we're building it at the moment. It's gonna sure. be ready towards the end of this year. Physical building that you're doing? Yes, yeah, so it's a big building actually, yeah. it's in Chiswick, and it used to be part of the Fuller's Brewery. Okay, It's a great big yeah. industrial site in West London. Yeah, I know it. Um, and, and they let this building go a few years ago. So we, we've taken a big standalone building um, and two floors. There's gonna be a state-of-the-art lab, um, a big pilot plant, which has basically got like miniature versions of large industrial kit that we use. Yeah. Um, and it's got a commercial kitchen. So to Mm -hmm. simulate what the restaurant customers of ours will do. Um, and it's got some, um, office space. Uh, and the coolest thing about it is, um, it is when I say it's going to be themed like an animal retirement home, like take that super seriously and literally like you like won't believe the, the, the level of theme that this place will have, like basically the, the pilot area is this great big area on the ground floor. With lots of stainless steel kit in it right. you know, proper like like serious you know catering equipment and food production equipment yes but it's a ballroom it's got chandeliers in it um it's got like uh white and black checked floor oh, okay um so it's heavily themed yeah, yeah and the idea is you know it brings the mission to life it excites the people that work there and will hopefully excite people to visit there as well and in terms of who came up with that
0: idea? Was that you that went, right, let's do, do the animal retirement at home? Like everything else that's happened, you've come up with this idea and you've either brought it to market or it hasn't worked.
1: Well, uh, that, that was me, yeah. yeah. But, but I would definitely say that, obviously, the wider team are, uh, you know, we all collaborate together to come up with lots of ideas. But, but how, do you, how do you make an idea work? Because so many of your ideas are working. Very,
0: very few haven't worked. But you didn't know the industry before you went into it with anything that you've done. Climbing, you don't know recruitment you barely knew Mm. food you didn't really
1: understand but it's all kind of worked yeah um well i haven't told you about trongs you haven't trongs didn't work trongs didn't what was that then Uh, and gyms as well you went into gyms yeah i'm the proud owner of uh two um uh snap fitness licenses okay which cost us tens of thousands of pounds because i woke up one day i was like pete We've got to open gym. Do you remember when all the gyms were opening everywhere? Yes, I do. Yeah, it was like uh, five years ago. My aunt just got a gym chain, and, and I remember it very, very well. Yeah, Yeah, probably, you know. so, so around that time, I was like, Pete, we've got to do gyms. It's like, yeah. gyms are going to be everywhere. These franchises change the game. I was like, do- do we have to? I was like, yeah, yeah. So I persuaded <laughs> Pete to cough out tens of thousands of men, and I did as well. And we bought two licenses to open two gyms. Right. We thought one wouldn't be enough. We'll get two. Yeah, you've got to double it up. Double we can start quits. with one. And so <laughs> we basically... Got the licenses, started looking for property, and then it just became quite clear as we started to get more and more yeah. into the industry that like too many of them were opening. Right, it's too many <laughs> yeah. Uh And so we were like, I was like Pete, I'm really sorry, but I don't think this is a good idea anymore. And he was like, <laughs> and you you were in already, you'd put the cash in. Down. Yeah, you can't get back. No, we're you can't still, get it back. We still can't. So so that that was it. Right. Okay. So we, lost, we lost that money. Um, Can you so- not resell them? i don't think i don't think so i don't even know if they're around anymore are they? they are i think Snapchats. i think they are yeah are they? i can't see i don't know how well they, do, but they are around um we we um we also tried trons okay so trons were i should really give good air time to the failures so make yeah, it, absolutely. otherwise i'm like doing the insta life yeah, <laughs> of, like, <you> know, yeah. <laughs> this yeah Insta-life. exactly um it's slightly equivalent isn't it <laughs> yeah. just always being on a beach on instagram yeah dubai somewhere uh, yeah. <laughs> basically Trongs, so we saw i don't know where we saw it but this American uh, based invention that mm-hmm. these two two really nice guys have come out with. It was to eat messy foods with. So you, you oh. held it like that. It was a plastic contraption, okay. disposable as well, which is incredibly unfashionable now. usually And went on your hands. You pick them up and you basically pick up your food with them. A bit like Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. And you, you know, eat, eat your whatever it was, your ribs or corn on the cob, put it down, put your trongs on the plate, you know, right. talk away, do whatever. Yeah, it, it pick it up again. And we thought, this is genius did you yeah because i like that's mental (laughs) we thought it was genius because you never need they were like 30p each or whatever you never need to get your um hands dirty ever again when you eat yeah because it's genius this is unbelievable yeah stuff that you can't use a knife and fork for easily it's like all five fingers no only only three only the three yeah two up here one down their thumb yes and and we were like this is the best this will make us billionaires yeah and um, no no (laughs) We we got them made, we got molds made for twenty grand, we got branding, we got this, we got that. We... was this with the fun money that when you sold your previous yeah, business yeah. you went, right, let's well, we let's didn't think it was fun. It. we thought it was very serious. Well of course We thought Trons <laughs> were gonna take over the world. Trons. Tons, um, Trons, Trons. yeah. It's even a remarkable name. We didn't name it. No, yet. no. But anyway, so 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 we did a deal with these with these Americans to like have the license for Europe. Mm-hmm and uh, which we paid for of course and uh and it completely flopped and no one wanted to buy tron so we couldn't believe it at first Uh and then we slowly realized that we were the stupid ones not then
0: (laughs) how quickly did it flop though was it one of
1: those businesses that failed really really fast it was about probably six months
0: okay so yeah it was
1: quick but it was a bit of a bind we weren't Mm full-time we we sort of started off thinking we'd be full-time yeah and then once we got like 10 failures, uh, people saying no way, then it was like, okay, maybe we'll go part-time. Yeah, It'll work, it'll work, we'll go part-time. And then it just didn't work.
0: Because, I mean, in terms of putting the time into the business again part-time, full-time, whatever it might be, mm. you can't necessarily make a business work if you're not in it 100% of the time. But then yeah, removing yourself slightly and looking at it from the outside is a good thing, right? Mm. In, ter- in terms of the businesses that you have been in full-time, are those the ones that have actually worked?
1: Um yeah, yeah. If I've been so, so recruited, we're chosen by social climbing. Social climbing I'm not in full time. No, true, I, I true. true. Have too much to do with the day to day. Um and, and obviously this we're more than full time. Yeah. Sure. Um but um yeah, I, I I totally agree with your uh assertion. You do need to be full time yeah. to to make a business. And that's the advice that I give earlier stage founders who who I sometimes speak to. Yeah. um you know because it, it always slightly annoys me when people say that you know they're doing this they're doing that and they'll do a bit of a startup and yeah so they've, you, you got, are right yeah they've got
0: a group by the age of 19 or something like that but in, ter- in terms of when you're investing because do you invest as well into into uh, outside businesses or just your own no
1: i, I haven't actually is
0: it something that you'd ever look at doing
1: maybe in the future yeah um i i just um i don't know i feel like there's enough risk in my life <laughs> with like um <laughs> you know my, my income uh and my Prospects yes. are all sort of um, configured around like startups, basically. Mm-hmm. I'm on my climbing center. I've got this, um, and um, so I feel like it's already, already enough risk. Yeah. So, so, so the the capital I have, I tend to put into you know my living, my property, or um, cars because <laughs> uh, I love cars. But...
0: I mean, it's in ter- I suppose, in terms of them, when you're scaling, growing, investing, and, and and getting to the point of a proper scale up. What do you, from a foundational point of view, need to have in place to go to an investor, like you've done, and go, right, mate, I want a million quid, I want 10 million, 20 million, whatever it might be. What do you need to have in place as a startup entrepreneur?
1: I, uh, right at the beginning.
0: Right at the beginning, through the sort of series A you know, onwards.
1: I think um, right at the beginning, you need to probably show resourcefulness mm-hmm. and that you've done a lot with a little I think that's quite important. I think most investors really want to see that yeah, because that's what separates you probably from from the bad founders is, is, is you know, the good founders are uh, getting a lot done and really hustling um, with with uh, not much resource. Mm-hmm. Um, a really well thought through plan. I personally think, call me old fashioned, but I personally think a business plan or a deck that is under 50 pages is not worth delivering. Really? Yeah, I, I really think everyone I know that's unpassionable. Mm. Makes me a bit of a dinosaur. Yeah. But if I was an angel, I want to see that those guys or girls have thought of flipping everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Put one hundred percent of everything on there. Yeah. I, I want uh, so 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 in our case, we 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 do uh, we deliver you know really comprehensive um, plans mm-hmm. uh, for starters. How many pages is your deck? Our current deck for this round. Uh, is um i don't know it's around around 50. is it really yeah i think so wow okay let's get you going for 10 million roughly this time yeah wow but to be fair if it is slightly shorter than that if it's if it's 45 or something it's because it's going on crowdfunding right and they've got a uh, and so that's a slightly different audience because we're talking about sort of invested you know institutional investors um, yeah yeah you can sort of put people off if you're too long absolutely but i was talking more about if people are going to
0: professional investors to vcs for instance and such like and that's really and in terms of what the right investor to go two is, why are you going Cedars or why are you going uh, to crowdfunding now rather than going to a VC and saying, right, can I just have 10 million pounds, please? Thank you very much.
1: Well, we're doing both. Right. We are going to institutional um, investors for this round. Um, But I personally love crowdfunding. um, And I think we're fortunately positioned as, um, you know, a a relatively popular consumer brand, growing consumer brand, um, with decent awareness. So I think that puts us in a really good place for um crowdfunding. Yeah. Um the crowd give you stuff that institutional investors can't give you. Mm-hmm. So they give you uh on mass advocacy, yeah. Where you've got people who go around being ambassadors for your company by the thousand. Oh yeah. Um and um also, you know, VCs come with agendas quite fairly because yeah they are um, playing with other people's money, frankly. So so they need to have a, a clear agenda. Um, whereas private individual investors, they, they don't have the same sort of agenda and then therefore they're not as challenging and vocal on, on your cap mm-hmm. table mm-hmm. as investors, as, as institutional investors.
0: Is it more time consuming when you're having to go through a crowdfund because you have to answer so many more questions and it's such a small, it's a relatively smaller amount of money that these individuals are
1: yeah putting in it's it's uh six one half dozen the other frankly mm-hmm. like yes it takes time but then so does institutional raising yeah. that always takes a lot of time and actually especially at the stage we're at now where we're sort of at growth stage yeah. rather than seed or series a like now now um the due diligence of our investors is significant mm-hmm. uh, so it kind of almost offsets the the uh, hassle that you describe of, of mm-hmm. you know dealing with lots of individual investors.
0: But to me, you seem like quite a risk-free business now, because you did, what, 13 million quid in your, in your first year or so, 20 million is the forecast for this year.
1: Yeah, No, not quite. We did 5.5 million year one, uh, 11.8 million uh, year two. Okay. And now we're in our third year where we're forecasting around 20 million. Yeah, okay. So So not a million miles off, but yeah, not yeah. at stake in terms of that.
0: But in terms of, in terms of the 20 million in year three, mm. that's still quite a good growth. A lot of people yeah. would be happy with that.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's um, you know firstly, let let's forecast. So we hope we get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, the the business has been has been uh, successfully growing. Mm-hmm. But but as with anything, you know, you don't have a, a straight line like that. No, it's it's up and down. Hundred um, percent. So it's just a case of um, like one thing that's quite challenging as the team gets bigger as well is like when you have those couple of months where things are a bit flat or you know you get a couple of losses you weren't expecting mm-hmm. or whatever. Just making sure that you don't bring the team down because they hit you quite hard personally as they founder. Do, yeah. And then almost like I- I'm not very good at moderating behavior, <laughs> I would say.
0: You're quite brash sometimes. Perhaps a bit sporadic.
1: Yeah, yeah like I-, I don't have enough of a filter, which i feel no. sure a lot of people would Thank- say. But I-, I definitely don't. And and um so for me, I'm trying to learn over time how to how to moderate more with the team because not not be misleading or anything, but like if I taking something a bit personally into heart about you know a couple of months of toughness yeah. i don't want them to then bring the team down yeah it's a yeah. big challenge i found actually that i'm not quite positive inspirational enough and yeah. that's something oh. i need
0: to really work on that's really interesting and in terms of how you do moderate your behavior almost like when you smashed your racket up when you were playing squash <laughs> because you lost something i do when i'm playing cricket i throw my cricket bat because it's really annoying when you get out on the first ball but um how do you moderate how do you manage and how do you make sure that you don't a offend somebody Mm.
1: but b actually overreact i think you should take a breath basically is it as simple as that yeah like (coughs) if you're if you're a vaguely rational person which i hope i am if you if you give yourself a bit more time Mm -hmm. when when there's a potential reaction afoot yeah i think i I think you end up doing the right thing and Mm -hmm. being level-headed about it um so now nowadays if i'm in a meeting or there's a contentious issue being discussed um and i'm around the team i don't tend to give pete the same uh, uh, um luxury no <laughs> but no. um but when i'm around around the team um or investors or whatever i do now sorry i never used to do i do just answer slower it takes really? me like second or two longer than it would have done before um and during that time i think oh, that's me moderating and that's me trying to be really thoughtful and level-headed about it that's really interesting. And it really, for me, it changes the game.
0: Yeah, 100%. And in terms of an example from when you did overreact slightly, or you were too quick, you didn't have that one or two seconds worth of consolidation and an acceptance that actually this is the answer you're going to give, have you got an example of that when you frankly should have just taken some time out? I've got a
1: lot of those, Go on. just loads. Like, I, um, we once went to this investor at the beginning uh, who was introduced to me through um, a, an, another investor a current investor in the business sure. so someone i wanted to impress and 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 you know give, give a good impression to and um uh i was just so impulsive because i didn't really get on with this guy i thought right. he was a bit of a knob yeah 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 and um uh, i thought he was slightly up himself and, and and he was a very rich guy um but still and, and i thought felt he was a bit arrogant and so basically um i obviously didn't hide my um i didn't moderate properly and i got home right. I saw an email and I thought, that's weird, because you normally only see a quick email if things go well. Yes. <laughs> so I thought it didn't go that well. So, so I looked at it and it was this long thing about like, um, I recommend you, you do some mirror work. So he, he was like, not even being sarcastic, he was like, you need to sit in front of a mirror and like look at yourself, like wow. the faces you make. <laughs> wow. And he said, every time I said something, you would start deeply frowning. Um, and I felt that you were very rude when I was making suggestions about the business. Uh, and all this stuff. So, so then that got back to the bloke that had introduced us. Yeah, and it was just <laughs> quite a bad look. Um, wow. And so, so stuff like that's happened a lot. I've, I've argued with a lot of investors. Okay. I had a VC call um, a few days ago, and um, the, the guy who was—I feel bad if the person watches it—he um, went to medical school, and um, he <laughs> decided he didn't want to be a doctor and went into VC. And he was three months into VC. And um, this person was, he was a very nice bloke. He, he was he was trying to, I suppose, examine the the, the validity and the mm-hmm. promise of our business mm-hmm. from that position. Mm-hmm. And I have been, you know, toiling away at startups for the last 15 years. Or whatever. Yeah. And I couldn't, I found it difficult to contain my, like, disdain for the situation. Not him personally. Yeah. yeah. But I just found it absurd.
0: Yeah, the three months versus the 15 years of graft. Yeah, medical.
1: So, yeah. Medical school, I just didn't get it. Yeah. And, and I couldn't hide how little I got it. Right.
0: Right. And that, so the call ended badly. i say so. Yeah. Yeah. So his, it, his
1: words were thank you for the spicy conversation. Really? And I was like, sorry, thanks, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> jo- it emailed me because we yeah, well, we're not we get best from there. Yeah.
0: Well, exactly. But arguably, you accept that you, you realize that you could have dealt mm-hmm. with it differently. Yeah. Obviously. It was a bit hard to have that conversation. But in terms of if you were to have the conversation again, what would you do differently? What would you say to somebody that I mean, was going for investment that actually thought, "Bugger you!"
1: I'd just tow the line. I know more than you. I'd just tow the line and just—I I would not be a jumped-up idiot about it. And would I though? You know, I say <laughs> that, would but exactly would I? Exactly. Would I be exactly the same? Probably exactly. Probably exactly. If, if the business was on its last legs. Yes, and life depended on it. Then I suppose I have no choice, but but you're
0: in a position where you can have those conversations because you know that there is other, are other people out there that will that will invest in this, and actually you want them to believe in it as much as you do. And maybe that wasn't the right person for the. Yes, yeah. and there's a
1: there's a, there's a serious reason why you might not want to do yeah. something like that as well, because what I've learned over time actually is that these investments, not just somebody lobbing a check in, they're like marriages. Yeah. And you know, do we want to be married to that person? Might have been the representative who sits on our board or who you know gives us proper direction. You know, you don't want to necessarily sign up to that for life Mm -hmm. when you don't feel we don't have enough confidence in 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 the uh, adviser or you're signing up with.
0: So, at what point would you just take the cash then? If you were starting a business and someone went, "Here's hundred thousand quid to get it off the ground," and you didn't believe in them as an individual for whatever reason, Mm. is it right or wrong to take the money?
1: Look, that's a different matter yeah. because if somebody's getting started, it's then a bit life or death, isn't yeah. it? So um, I would recommend to earlier stage founders just, unless they're like arms dealers, you know, or or they're, they're immoral people, yes. take take the money.
0: Yeah, and a bit would be like what Bob Geldof said in Live Aid, where he said, "Give us your fucking money." <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what he said. But yeah. in terms of where we can where we can you know help invest, join you on your journey as a customer, but also as an investor, if indeed the crowdfund is open at the point that this airs. Where can we go? What can we do, and how can we find this?
1: So So we're going on Cedars uh, for the crowdfunding portion. so um, we're going live on Cedars privately uh, in the next couple of days, and then we're going to go publicly live in about a week. So, so what's the duration of that campaign then? Don't know. Um, because <laughs> it depends on how quickly we hopefully hit mm-hmm. maybe exceed our target. And then you know last round we did on Cedars in 2020. Um, we raised like three million quid in about 15 hours or something. It was the quickest one they'd had at really? the time. I think it still is, maybe. And so, so we had to stop after about a day. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, who knows? This time our target's bigger, going to be bigger. Ten million. Yeah. Um, it won't be ten million actually. On the, it's ten million is yeah. the round size. Fine. So, so the target on Cedars will be probably uh, four million.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um, and um, so so yeah, it depends.
0: And you have to, I think, from memory, when we've used Cedars or been through Cedars with other things, you have to raise it all, or you don't get any of it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever been in a position with Cedars where you've not raised any of it?
1: No, because we've only done it once before. We've only done it. And it, it once was successful before. for us. So But you um, can overfund,
0: can't you? And you get yeah. the rest of the money.
1: Yeah. So 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 a, a trick for founders with Cedars is to make sure that your target is manageable. Yes. And you yes. expect to hit it.
0: And how did you come up with that four million split then with the rest going to VCs?
1: So we basically um uh we've tried to gauge the demand the, 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 the been, that we've had in the pre-reg. Mm-hmm. So the pre-reg phase is basically like, it's been open to people to sign up to it. Right. And um, to, to basically commit to like, yeah, when the round goes like, I will invest X. And in our case, we've had the second biggest pre-registration in Cedar's history of like, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Wow. Um. So the first biggest was Revolut. Okay. Normally, yep. they yep. got like 30,000 signatures. Okay. Uh, we've had uh, 14,000 roughly. Wow. Um, and so uh, the interest has been really great. So, so from that, we can determine that actually you can go to four million to a punchy target. Yeah, yeah. Um, a degree of that has been committed already. Yeah. Um, so,
0: is there a minimum that people have to put in? I
1: think. Um, I think it's quite low. I think it might yeah. be like 50 quid or something. Wow, okay. It could, okay. could even be lower than that. So it's literally a couple of back packs of bacon, that is it, you know. Yeah, well, hopefully it. more than a couple. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And in terms of where I can buy the product then, if I wanted to go and buy this for instance, where when yeah. can I go to buy it?
1: So this product is sold in uh, pretty much all major supermarkets in the UK. So yeah. uh, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda Morrison's, Waitrose and Cardo, um, all of that lot. And, yeah. and, and so we're also sold in uh, a bunch of restaurant chains. So chains like Cafe Nero, uh, Preto, Ask, Chilango, Honest Burger, mm-hmm. um, we tend to be on the menu. So uh, you'll see like yeah. this TM isn't bacon. Yeah. Um, so you can recognise us, and
0: that's amazing for a brand to be on there because you don't get that with sausages or burgers or anything like that. You, you you've actually got a product that they're marking on the on, on the menu as this. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a great validation for us. 100%. Um so, so, yeah, really um, grateful that partners want to promote the brand. Yeah. Um, it really helps with brand awareness. It helps with driving trial in retail as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, very much so. And I think, it, I genuinely think it's brilliant. It is brilliant. It tastes brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Andy. This has been fun.
1: Cool. Thank you for <laughs> having me. Cheers. Cheers, dude. Appreciate
0: it thanks for listening to this podcast if you've enjoyed this episode why not listen to a few more and click subscribe this podcast was produced by pinpoint media and i'm oliver bruce i hope we can speak again soon take care